0: This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Ethan Moore, and I'm recording this message for Sunday, March the 19th, 2023. You know, this is a very significant day in the life of Trinity Church, as after 20 years, this will be my last Sunday as the pastor of our local congregation and church ministry. If you've tracked with me for some time in this podcast, yeah, I really do ask that you pray for Trinity's local ministry here in the Vell Valley, which I am confident will continue with the vibrancy and purpose that God has brought over all these years and that he will continue to bring. Now, also, as you may know, I'm going to continue to lead our Beaver Creek congregation for approximately probably another year during the interim pastor time. Once a new pastor is brought on board for Trinity, um, the expectation is that person, after maybe some overlap, will transition into leading both services, as I have done for all these years. Um, but during this interim time, again, probably around a year, I'm going to continue to post my messages online as well. All right, so this this podcast is going to keep going. I want, I want to thank you again for all your prayer and support. And so, without further ado, let's jump back as to where we are in Colossians. Our scripture today is Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now, last week we saw Paul shift gears in his letter um, as he moved from focusing on what is already true of us internally who we are in Christ, right, that's really what we saw for the first two chapters, to how this truth, when we are walking by faith one day at a time, will lead to an inevitable result. And simply put, um, and we talked about this last week, this is the ongoing transformation of how we live, how we think, how we feel, and how we act in our relationships with people. You know, we've I've said this many times over the years here at Trinity, but this essential process, this new creations in Christ, this is the process of our character and nature coming to reflect and express Christ's character and nature. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, Paul just sums this up powerfully. Of course, we see this throughout the New Testament. But here Paul puts it this way: Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And I love that. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we, and here's the key statement, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit, right? This is the inevitable result. When we are living in the truth of who we are in Christ, it will change how we live. Now, Last Sunday, we explored this from the negative perspective, as Paul described the kind of life we have put behind us because it's no longer who we are. Today, we're going to shift to the positive perspective, what it looks like for us to clothe ourselves with the nature and character of Christ. Now, (laughs) I have never been known as a person who loved to dress up. My first job out of school was at a large architecture firm in Charleston, South Carolina. And they had a pretty formal business culture, right? If you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I remember one day at this all-company staff meeting, staff meeting, when the head of our HR department told us we would start observing, you know, air quotes, casual Friday. And somebody asked, well, what does that even mean? And the, the, the lady said, well, you know, nice jeans. You don't have to wear a tie-in jacket, but, you know, still look professional. You just drop it down a notch. To which someone in the room said, Oh, you mean we get to dress like Ethan dresses all the time? (laughs) But guys, when I do dress up, isn't that often? But when I do, it's always fun to hear someone say, Wow, Ethan, you look... You know, what's the phrase we often use there? You look sharp. My friends, this is the sense Paul gives us as he uses this metaphor of the Christian's new clothes. The new has come, and it looks sharp. It is good-looking. So our text again, verses 12 through 17 of chapter 3. Let's read the whole thing, and then we'll push into it. And Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, wow, that's an amazing passage. So let's look at it a bit closer. So Paul's about to describe here to these believers what their new creation life should look like. And as he so often does, he begins by reminding them right, who they are. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. All right, friends, I want to see if you can do do this with me. Can you say with me, We are, right, and the we here is important, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Now, friends, of course, that is true of you as an individual believer, but the emphasis here is on the community of believers, the community of faith. Together, as a loving and forgiving family of faith, we are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. That is who you are. That is who we are. You know, to be holy means to be set apart to God and for God. And the emphasis here is on who we are because of what God has done. In other words, we are holy not because of our deservedness, but because of God's grace. And we are dearly loved not because we are always lovable, but because of the love of God. And friends, this is humbling. It's good. Even more, it's incredible to note that Paul's words to describe us are also used in the New Testament many times to describe Jesus. Just a few examples. In John 6:69, 6, Peter confesses to Jesus, Jesus, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. 1 Peter 2.4, Peter describes Jesus as chosen by God and precious to God. In Matthew 3.17, of course, this is um, Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist. And God's voice came down from heaven. Remember what it declared? It said, this is my son whom I love. Friends, think of this. The next time your flesh is trying to tell you that you are of little value, Remember that the way that God refers to Jesus and the way the New Testament writers describe Jesus, this is how God, speaking here through Paul, this is how God describes you. This is how God describes us. You know, over the years, we've talked many times about how the New Testament describes how we are children of God. And it also describes us as being siblings of Christ. And so as brothers and sisters of Christ, what is true of Christ is now true of us. For instance, that's something to think about. So with that, with that reminder, with that foundation, Paul now describes the believers, the Christians, new clothes. And so therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now think about this metaphor. In one sense, our clothing is something that protects us, helps keep us warm, healthy, right, protected. But here Paul thinks of our clothing as how we present ourselves to the world around us. What Christ in us looks like. So here's the question. If you were to ask a typical person in our society today, right, thinking here in Eagle County, an average resident of our valley, and we were to ask them, you know, what is the clothing Christians are perceived as wearing, right? Not not literally, but with this metaphor. You know, my friends, if you zoom out just a bit, what image does Christian culture today project about who we are, what is most important to us, and how we treat people? Because the answer isn't always pretty. You know, Andy Stanley once said, there are things about Christian culture that people resist and that we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, should also resist because they are not expressive of the character and the nature and the goodness of God. Now, in contrast, any person who expresses the attribute Paul describes here as who they genuinely are with everyone they know and meet, my friends, that person will be valued and loved. This is the kind of life that not only leads to a deep-seated personal fullness and contentment, it is the kind of living that makes God beautiful. So let's walk through these. The authentic close of the disciple of Jesus. And Paul begins with compassion. Compassion is a deep sensitivity to the needs and the feelings of others. Now, a concept related to compassion is empathy, which is the ability to understand and share the feelings of others. Now, some people have naturally greater empathy than others. Now, I'm not always quick to pick up on how another person is feeling. Sometimes you've you've just got to tell me what's going on or I'll miss it. But some people are really gifted with empathy. But friends, compassion is a way the spirit will work through All of us. We may not all be highly empathetic, but compassion means we care about people, all people. Compassion means we have a genuine desire to listen and help make somebody's life better. It means we see every person as God sees us, as precious, valued, people who are created in God's image, just as we are, and whose lives matter. Now, inseparable from and almost synonymous with compassion is kindness. You know, kindness is proactive compassion, the act of being friendly, considerate, generous, and often at times self sacrificial. You know, also, kindness carries with it the idea of things that are small, simple, but that can make a powerful difference. I heard a podcast some time ago that was told, told the stories of multiple Jewish survivors of Nazi Germany, um, and with all of these survivors, they shared how their salvation wasn't a single heroic act from some benefactor, although that sometimes did happen. Rather, their salvation was innumerable small acts of kindness from many people that they would never see again. And let me just add to this, And honestly, I raised some eyebrows when I said this almost a year ago. But, friends, kindness is kind to everyone. Kindness does not make distinctions among people, be they cultural, political, or even moral. Kindness just is. A well-known Christian scholar once observed that it, it is strange in view of the great emphasis given by Paul to this essential virtue, just how often it is regarded in practice as inessential. And when he said this, guys, he was observing Christian culture. In the church at times, we like to talk about moral failings. But based upon just the sheer emphasis that Paul brings throughout his letters, perhaps one of the church's greatest moral failings has been a failure to be kind. Because kindness is always essential. There is no such thing as a Christian wardrobe that doesn't prominently feature the beauty of kindness. Going on now, Paul speaks of humility. And if kindness is the Christ-like attitude toward other people, then humility is the Christ-like attitude towards ourselves. We looked at this multiple times over the Advent season, how our greatest calling to humility is what we see in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, let your attitude be the same as Jesus, who, being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, right, but rather he humbled himself by surrendering himself to the cross. There's so much we could talk about with humility. But just have to leave that there. But it's core to who we are, how we live, our clothing as followers of Christ. The next is gentleness. You know, gentleness is the result of a humble heart in terms of our approach to people, the idea of developing a gentle persona, right? A gentle countenance and how we approach people. Patience, the next word here, on the other hand, patience is the outworking of humble kindness in how we respond and react to people. And we see all of these attributes in multiple places in Scripture. But now Paul takes the next step in verse 13, where he says, And so bear with each other and forgive one another. If if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. All right. This is an interesting phrase, bear with one another. You know, we may initially equate this to just being patient with someone, but the Greek, the underlying Greek here has a bit of a broader emphasis. You know, the theologian N.T. Wright interprets this as restraining our natural or initial reaction to people who are difficult, who are odd, or just different from us. Bearing with one another is the practical outworking of humble kindness, where we give people the freedom to be themselves. In church, there's a word for this, and it's acceptance. Acceptance. Let me just add this. Guys, if you've ever said to yourself, you know, I love that person with the love of God, but I just can't accept them. we, We say this in the church all the time. If, if, if we catch ourselves thinking that or saying that, we need to go read the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus in Luke 19. You see, we often tell ourselves in the church that there are people that we can't accept or befriend and still remain holy and faithful to God. Now, friends, every situation is different. Life is nuanced and details matter. But broadly speaking, our struggle accepting people, these are walls we build ourselves. They're not walls built by Scripture. Moving on. It's very often a necessary part of bearing with one another, of accepting one another, is the essential garment of forgiveness. You know, there are few concepts more central to a Christian and New Testament worldview, more central to the gospel and the very nature of God, than forgiveness I heard a comedian once say that lies are the oil that lubricates the gears of human interactions, implying that if we were always honest, that the relational wheels of society would just come off and we would all hate each other. And this is actually a fairly commonly held view, because rather than dishonesty being the oil of relationships, it is forgiveness and mercy that allow us to care for each other, even when we regularly fail each other. If we had any doubt about the strength of Paul's emphasis here, he says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Once again, forgiveness and mercy are essential articles of the Christian's daily wardrobe. And Paul concludes now this description with the Christian's most important piece of clothing, the outer garment that covers, that sums up, and gives life to all the others. And of course, this is love. Verse 14. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know, over the 20 years I've been a pastor, one of, the, one of the maybe many examples that you may have grown tired of hearing me say is that of Jesus and the Pharisees in Matthew 22, starting in verse 38. Of course, this is where a teacher, a Pharisee teacher of the law came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. For this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets, in other words, the totality of scripture, hang on these two commandments. Love God. And the greatest expression of our love of God is how we love other people, right? It's essential, right? There is no Christian life apart from love. Moving on now, Paul starts a new thought, a new paragraph in the text. But I'm including what we see in verse 15 in this list of our new clothes in Christ. And here Paul says, "...so let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace." and be thankful." All right, so two more garments, peace, peace. You know, often when scripture speaks of our peace as believers, it refers to the inner peace and humility that results from our conviction of God's love and goodness. But here, however, Paul speaks of the peace that will exist among believers when we are expressing all these attributes of Christ's nature within our family of faith. You know, there's always been, there probably always will be, lots of discussion within Christian culture, within the church, about who can appropriately be an authority within the church. And often, especially in my Baptist background, often these discussions just devolve down to gender. But here, Paul proclaims the authority that should rule within the church and within our hearts as a body of faith is peace. right, And not just the absence of hostility, but the peace of Christ genuine, self-reinforcing, inviting, forgiving, listening, and sustaining, right? May there be peace among you, right? If we were able to um, imagine all of us as the church, as the body of Christ, right, being dressed in the garments of Christ as the community of faith, friends, our peace that we have with one another would be one of those essential garments. lastly, when we are dressed in the character and nature of Christ, the natural result will be a deep and permeating gratitude. You know, like many of these attributes that we've just discussed, you'll find the idea of gratitude just saturated throughout Scripture. There is no authentic Christian living that doesn't lead, it doesn't lead to and express gratitude. You know, you've probably heard the old saying, you know, the canary in the coal mine, meaning if the canary dies, that means something unhealthy is filling the mind. And friends, if any expression of the church lacks gratitude, that's kind of like the canary in the coal mine, because you can be assured that something deeper is spiritually unhealthy. For a healthy church will be a thankful church. Okay. Paul now gives us three more descriptions of a healthy Christian community. And the emphasis here is on community. Just going to touch on them. And the first is that we will be people who have rich discussions. Now, verse 16, Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So the message of Christ here describes several things. The gospel stories of the life of Jesus, how in the life of Jesus we see the clearest description of the character and nature of God, also would would have included the gospel message itself, the hope and freedom of what God has accomplished in and through Christ, and also I'm sure Paul is describing here the larger picture of our union with Christ, God's grace, the grace of Christ, and how Christ is our life. And so Paul here says, talk about these things teach them to each other. Be eager to go to a depth where your spiritual conversations will bring, both, will bring both conviction and encouragement. And friends, let's be honest here. This is tough because in the busyness of our culture, the concept of Christian teaching has almost been completely reduced to listening to a preacher or dedicated teacher, right? either in person, in books, or through any means of recording. I mean, what we're doing right here. And I think if Paul were here, he would exclaim to us as the church, listen, these things are wonderful, right? And if that's all that you possibly can do, then I suppose that's understandable. But friends, we must not view these as being enough. You were created by God to be a community in the essential place of spiritual growth is within the relationships you have within that community. So talk to each other about your faith, your questions, your doubts, your hopes, your spiritual growth. Let your community of faith be a place of rich teaching and conversation as you grow and mature in your relationship with Jesus and your relationships with each other. Again, this is hard. I get it. Because saying yes to spending such time together means we must say no to something else that currently takes our time. Now, my friend, if there is a message I think the church today needs to hear, it's that we must somehow challenge the trend of our faith becoming a spectator sport that's just focused on our favorite teams of Christian teachers and leaders and musicians as well. Because biblically, there is no such thing as a virtual church. There may be virtual Christian culture. Right? There's a lot of that. But the church is a living, breathing, relational community of people who do life together, who learn and grow together. And then this is the next big thought that Paul gives. I just love this. And also who sing together. Because here we see just the great gift of musical worship. Verse 16, so let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. And then Paul says, here's a big way that happens. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Ah, So much could be said here, but suffice it for now to say that singing in worship has been in, the, has been in the DNA of the church since day one. You know, the gift of music for learning and worshiping goes deep into the church's Old Testament roots. As to even this day, we sing from the Psalms. And Paul's emphasis here is that musical worship is a means by which we mature and grow spiritually how we are creatively reminded through worship of the majesty, the nature, the goodness of God, right? and core truths of our faith in God. As such, the content of our worship music, should, that should matter to us greatly. Likewise, in a day when Christian music has become a massive industry, right? this scripture here reminds us how the New Testament's vision of musical worship is not performance. It is something we do together as a communal expression of our love of God. <clears throat> so we're going to end with this. Now, there's a song here at Trinity, I mean churches around the country, that we used to sing quite a bit, and it's Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. I think the group, the Newsboys, recorded that, if I remember it correctly. It's an awesome song. I love it. But to tweak the refrain just a bit, we can hear Paul saying to us, You, believer in Christ, you are blessed. You are the blessed. So, blessed be the name. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You are the blessed ones. We are the blessed ones. So, may we be the name of Jesus in this world in which we live. You know, to do something in the name of Jesus carries the idea, one, of recreating the presence of Jesus in our own lives and also being empowered by Jesus to do so through his continuous presence in our lives. Right? The amazing reality that Christ's spirit is in union with our spirit, the miracle that Christ is in you, and that is the hope of glory. So church, as we dress ourselves in the new creation life of Jesus Christ, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer, from a, from a place of deep genuineness in our hearts, may we be the name of Jesus Christ. May we be people who are compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, gentle, patient, accepting, forgiving, loving, peace-loving, and filled with gratitude. For my friends, this is the nature and character of Christ, who is our very life. May it be said of us, Friends, thank you so much for joining with me today. I'm actually not going to be here next week. I'm going to be um, t- taking a little a week off um, for a family event. And, um, but I will be back on April the 2nd, Palm Sunday. As yes, I believe we will continue in Colossians. We may take a little break for Palm Su- Sunday and Easter and do a different focus. But I'll be back on Sunday, April the 2nd. And until then, I pray that you experience the reality that in Christ, truly, You are blessed.